Hello, happy Tuesday. Today we are talking about some ideas for incorporating recorders into elementary music curricula. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 49 of Elemental Conversations. This is a question that I got from a colleague inside the planning binder, and this person is teaching third grade using a lot of the resources inside the planning binder, but she wants to expand some opportunities for recorders. So that's what we were talking about in that conversation, and that's what we will talk about today. We are going to talk about this idea of embedding recorders versus isolating them like their own separate unit. And we'll talk about pros and cons to both. And then we will walk through some steps uh, so that if you are interested in this embedded approach, as opposed to an isolated approach, you have some options for how you might get started. So let's talk about this distinction of naturally embedding something in the curriculum and having something as an isolated unit. Because like I said, I think there are pros and cons to both approaches. I think that there are benefits and then there are costs for both approaches. In general, if you and I are friends, you probably know that my tendency is to look for ways that we can naturally embed things in the curriculum as opposed to having all of these isolated units. Now there are exceptions. Yes. <laughs> but in general, my, my preference is to look for how we can transfer understanding across many different genres and instruments and concepts. So that's the reason for, for this preference, this leaning toward naturally embedded instead of isolated. Now, all of that said, when it's time to start recorder, especially with third graders who we can probably assume have not played it in a really uh, structured setting, there's going to be some necessary focus time with recorder that we would expect to have. So even if you are not planning on isolating recorders to their own unit that is kind of divorced from other musical understandings uh, that we do in music class, there's going to be a time where we are focused in on things like recorder technique and especially things like routines to take them out and put them away, uh, talking about about, um, you know, the, the amount of airflow that we're going to have everything, everything like that. So there's some, uh, focus time that we will expect to have, but ultimately my goal as a teacher is that we can transfer our musical understanding across many different melodic media. So Maybe we start with voice as our primary medium for understanding melodic concepts. Maybe it is voice and movement. And then from there, we can take our understanding of our physical body, right? The voice that we make, the movements that we show physically, and transfer that to something like a barred instrument. And then perhaps when it's developmentally and musically appropriate, we transfer that understanding to recorder. But it's all because we have a foundational understanding of melodic concepts that we could apply to, like I said, bard instruments or recorder. But then with that same uh, framework, we can also use this to explore things like ukulele or guitar or piano or any other musical instrument that the student is interested in learning because we are focused on understanding pitch relationships as a 
opposed to memorizing fingerings. The difference here is viewing our teaching not as how to play recorder per se, but more expanding out a little bit and thinking how do we use recorder as a tool for collaborative musicianship and musical critical thinking. And I would also add that if I viewed myself as a recorder teacher instead of a music teacher, I would probably end up with a different approach than what we'll talk about today. So that's the idea of naturally embedding recorder into the curriculum and some of my reasoning behind why I, in general, stray away from isolated units. The benefit of an isolated unit is if your goal is to do a, a really deep dive on recorder, especially things like recorder technique, that is a really wonderful uh, pathway to that teaching objective. It's just that I have a slightly different objective that I am interested in for the purpose of teaching elementary general music. All right. With that said, let's start with the very first step that we might take when we think about incorporating recorders. And that is to look back at where we have been in the curriculum so far. What kinds of experiences will students be able to draw from uh, if the idea is that we can transfer melodic understanding to multiple media, then what is the knowledge base that students are going to be working off of? That is step one. So if we are doing this in third grade, I might look at where we are here in second semester and think about the first semester experiences that students have had and then how those first semester experiences are connected to previous years of instruction. This is a good time to point out uh, something that might get overlooked in this discussion, which is there is no such thing as a third grade curriculum that is on track on track has never existed and it certainly does not exist this year at this moment in time, right? So when we talk about examples for what a third grade recorder um, experience might look like and sound like in the elementary general music classroom, this is just one example. So with that caveat, we can think about specifically the previous melodic experiences that students have already had and their conscious knowledge of steps and skips. So when we talk about previous melodic experiences, that might look like by the time we're in third grade, we might have a lot of experience uh, singing and playing and moving to many different songs in many different tonal contexts. Uh, so things like singing, uh, songs that are singing games or moving to music or listening to music outside the music room, right? Like in our own real lives outside school, um, all of this stuff, this is in the background and this provides a tonal framework for our conscious knowledge. And it's good to point out here as well, not, um, only melodic experiences are important here. Certainly the rhythmic experiences that students have had will definitely play a part in our recorder curricula. And we'll talk about that um, when it gets actually time to play. <laughs> The other piece of this, you know, we've talked about experiences, but we're also going to want to draw on some conscious knowledge. Conscious knowledge, I am using to say that, or using to mean that we are all communicating about these sounds in the same way. 
real musicians communicate about music in many different ways. And so because of that, it is very helpful to have one set of vocabulary that everyone in the music classroom is using. As far as conscious knowledge goes, at this point in third grade, we might have an expectation that students are orally identifying, that they are reading and writing in many different representations, that they are consciously using this melodic vocabulary in improvisation and arranging and composing, and then that they are having part work experiences with uh, a lot of different tonal patterns. Those tonal patterns that students can read, write, orally identify, consciously use in creative tasks, and then also use in part work experiences. Those uh, tonal patterns might be so in me. You might have expanded that to me, Ray Do, or perhaps you started with me, Ray Do, and then added on so in me. And maybe you are uh, dipping down into low law by this point in the year. For the purposes of this episode and the examples in this episode, let's imagine that third graders have conscious knowledge of all of these tonal patterns, uh, tonal patterns around so and me, I should have added law in there as well. So me law, me re do, and dipping down into low law. Let's divide this up into three different stages of learning or three different categories that we might move through and circle back to as we decide it serves our students best. We're going to have some early experiences, and then we're going to have some rhythmic experiences and then melodic experiences. Okay, so these early experiences, this is what looks like what a lot of us might be used to when it comes to teaching recorder, uh, because it is a very good way to introduce recorder. This is that focus time that might look a little bit more like a unit on recorder. This is the time to explore how to get out the instrument, how to put it away, all of those procedures around that. And then uh, what rest position looks like, how to hold the instrument, what we're thinking about with air flow, um, everything around recorder technique and deep dive into recorder. This is the time to do it. Having a focused time can be very, very helpful. One random helpful thing that will come up a lot in recorder pedagogy is what to do about those darn squeaky sounds that we hear. This is a time for students to develop their own list of things they can do to problem solve that tone problem on their own without you always going back and repeating yourself over and over and over. So if students have a list of things that they can do, like uh, use less air or think about um, the articulation that you are using or making sure that the whole is covered all the way. This is a nice time to have those conversations so that when we have a tone quality that we don't want out of our instrument, we have a list of things that we can do to uh, try to fix that on our own as musical problem solvers. So now let's imagine that we've had some time to establish boundaries around how we treat ourselves and each other and the classroom materials when it comes to recorder. Now let's start actually looking at some musical pathways of recorder understanding that we might use. My recommendation is to consider incorporating rhythmic experiences first, instead of jumping straight to melodic experiences. If we were to think about naturally embedding recorder into some rhythmic ideas, 
some options might be that students play a steady beat as a part of a game. So if you are doing bubblegum, bubblegum in a dish, how many pieces do you wish? We can have a few students at a time playing a steady beat on recorder with whatever uh, pitch you ask them to use. And we'll talk about this, uh, this concept of when to incorporate notation. We'll talk about that in a moment. But if you just say, um, you know, if you want to practice uh, low E, so it, with your left hand on top, it is the thumb is down, the first finger is down, one, two, three, and then in the right hand, we have the index finger and the middle finger. All of those are down for low E. Now, this could absolutely be any pitch you choose. My recommendation, and we'll talk more about this later, but my recommendation is to consider with some of these early experiences with recorder, consider using the lower register of the instrument instead of starting on B the whole time, because that will set students' expectations for their airflow in a really uh, helpful way <laughs> so that they have this idea of, very slow air instead of what you can get away with in the upper register, which is a little bit quicker airflow. And if you do that in the lower register, you're going to get a really harsh tone quality that is going to be squeaky and not very pleasant. So the first way to incorporate it is just a steady beat in a game. This is also a nice time to talk about articulations. If you want to make sure that students are doing do, do, do instead of Two, two, two. Again, thinking about the tone quality that we want. Another thing to point out here is when we are using this in the context of a game, everyone has the opportunity to be involved in the music in some way. And the teacher can kind of listen in on the, you know, maybe four or five students at a time who are keeping a steady beat in the game. And that can give you some nice time to number one, let students hear themselves. And then number two, let you hear the students. That way, if students need uh, some quick redirection with their technique, you are there and you can hear them and you're not singling them out as if uh, in the same way that you could find yourself doing if everyone is like seated in chairs facing the board and you have to call one kid out in front of everyone, right? This way, everyone is involved in a musical task. I'll go ahead and point out here just to make sure that I've said it. It does not need to be a spoken rhyme that is a passing game. This could also be something like our old sow or bump up tomato or anything like that. The benefit of using the pentatone as a basis for melodic understanding, as opposed to going to things like harmonic um, functions, harmonic progressions, like using all pop music all the time with chordal changes. The benefit of using the pentatone is that since it is modal, we do not have to worry about changing our tonic pitch. The tonic can stay the same the whole entire time. So if I am playing just one pitch like E, or in the case of Our Old Sow, uh, maybe I am doing G, uh, just depends on where you want to pitch that song and that game. Uh, that is all I have to worry about as a student. And then from there, we can think about expanding the pitches that students are using. Something that we can think about Next, as uh, the next step in this sequence, is instead of just using a steady beat, we can add an ostinato that students play as well. This will give us different 
practice with our rhythmic articulation, and we can also expand the pitches that students are using here. So instead of just having that steady beat, probably most likely on the tonic, we can add the fifth to the song. So whatever the song is, let's imagine that we are doing Alabama Gal and we are going to pitch it in G. In that case, we might have the steady beat on G with, you know, two, three, four students playing that. And then on the other side of the room, we can have other students playing an ostinato all on D. So using, and my, by the way, my recommendation for a D, if you are playing this in the key of G would be to include that right hand. So your low D, not that upper D. And that is for the reason of airflow that we talked about before. This ostinato could be truly anything. This will depend on the previous musical experiences that your students have had and how much um, rhythmic independence and interdependence we are ready for. But something like, I don't, I don't know how. I don't, I don't know how. Again, all on low D. And then in between rounds of the game, whoever is on a recorder will just walk up to someone in those long ways sets, like if we were singing and playing the game to Alabama Gal, and just tap them on the shoulder. And then the person who used to be playing recorder is now in the game. The person who was doing the game goes and gets the recorder and we go uh, along our merry way like that. Notice here that already recorders are just one more instrument that we can add to our toolkit as third grade musicians, because especially if I am using Alabama Gal for some sort of cinco pa rhythmic understanding, I might have already been expecting to have some students play a steady beat on tubanos and some students to play a uh, rhythmic ostinato on rhythmic rhythm sticks or body percussion, or maybe adding a barred instrument to help a in that rhythmic understanding. But now I'm not sacrificing any other uh, curricular objective. I am just adding in one more pathway of musical understanding. So already we see this um, embedded use of recorder. At this point, we have steady beat, we have an ostinato on the fifth, and then another option that we might include is for students to have a rhythmic conversation, very similar to how we might sing a greeting in a warm-up, but this time a student will turn, students will turn to each other and say, uh, good morning, how are you today? And the student might answer, very well, very well, I am great, or they might be sad. I feel sad or I am very hungry. I am very hungry. Something that we might do in a third grade warm up already, but now students can have those conversations on their recorder. This is another situation where you can choose what pitch students should be using on their instrument. Or the thing that I like even more is to invite students to choose from a list of options that you give them. And then the next step further from that in terms of student choice is to have students improvise or if you want to back up, no problem, echo a B section using rhythmic building blocks. So let's imagine that uh, we are doing Old Mr. Rabbit and we are using rhythmic building blocks, cabbage, sweet potato, bell, peppercorn. Cabbage, sweet potato, bell, peppercorn. If we were to play those on G, that might sound like...
So we can go through several different iterations of this idea of us playing something for students and students echoing it. And then perhaps we play something for students and they improvise their own response. So the only rule is it is not allowed to be the same thing that we just did. The next step after this in terms of moving toward a melodic exploration as opposed to staying in a rhythmic exploration here would be to add on to the fingerings that students can use in their response. So for this, perhaps we use uh, G and then we jump down to low E and we're just moving between G and low E. And after a while, students can choose to echo my rhythm on either the rhythm that I give them with rhythmic building blocks. Either they can choose to play it on G, or they might choose to play it on E, or they might choose to mix up the order. So the rhythm stays the same. Notice that we've already done rhythmic practice, and now students can choose what pitch they are using in their response. The decision that we make about the pitches that students can use and how much musical choice they have in terms of their melodic response, all of that will go back to the very first thing that we talked about, which is what experiences have students had that they can build off of for this new melodic pathway. In this example, if we are using low law, and do in the context of old Mr. Rabbit to do rhythmic building blocks with cabbages and whatever else is in the garden. All of that works out very nicely because low law, that E that we are playing with our right hand, that is the new focus element and we can compare it to do, which is already conscious knowledge. And all of this is in the register that we would be singing it in class anyway. So for a lot of different reasons, uh, this example works. But if you are working toward a different melodic understanding, or if your students had a different set of uh, background experiences, this is something that you would want to tweak. But the main idea, regardless of what pitch collection we are using, is that we've started with exploring recorders with a rhythmic basis first, and we are using them in the context of stuff we are already using in class to make some of those connections. And then notice as well that we are adding in different layers of student choice. It's not all echo. We're adding in some improvisation and then moving from a rhythmic improvisation to some melodic improvisation. That's the main gist, regardless of what collection of pitches we are using. The last thing that I want to talk about in terms of uh, finding a rhythmic connection first before we expand to a melodic connection is with the repertoire that we're using. We can absolutely, like we've been talking about, circle back to classroom repertoire that's already in our lesson flow for the month or for the semester or whatever it is. Another thing that we can do if we want just more uh, experience with echoing back and forth and articulation and tone quality and everything like that. And with the lens towards student choice, this is a nice time to include pop music that students suggest. We talk, um, I feel like we talk often <laughs> about using pop music in a warm up routine, but this is just one other avenue of using pop music. 
one of the tricky things or one of the things that we'll just need to uh, wrap our heads around from a harmonic perspective <laughs> is that because of the chord changes, if we are hanging out on one pitch, let's say tonic for our whole echo experiences, we can expect some dissonance and that's not bad. That's just something for us to notice. And it can be a really nice thing for us to point out to students as well. Um, it sounds like some of these things that we're playing really sound like it goes with this song, but sometimes I notice that we'll play the exact same pitch and it doesn't really sound like it goes. Do you notice that? And then do the same activity with students kind of listening for that dissonance. Uh, that's neither here nor there because this is not an episode about how to teach harmonic changes, <laughs> but just to say that we can use pop music in this rhythmic understanding while we are incorporating recorders as well. Okay. That is starting recorders in the curriculum, naturally embedded in the curriculum, but starting with some rhythmic connections that we can make first and then moving to some melodic experiences. So let's look at some options for expanding melodic experiences. After students have all of this work with these play-based experiences with a rhythm umbrella, let's start moving our fingers around a little bit more. These experiences are going to have a pretty natural connection to the rhythmic work that we've already been doing. The difference is that now we're just moving our fingers around a bit more and we will need to think about the airflow that we are using depending on the register of the instrument that we are working with. This is another place where if your uh, student background is different from a, from a conscious knowledge standpoint, this is something where there's a lot of room to adapt the number of pitches that students are using so that they are still getting this melodic pathway and it is still age appropriate and has a plenty of student musical choice in there, in our teaching but it's not something that is going to be way too complicated for students to handle all right at the beginning. Often when we start barred instruments, we are going to start with some sort of exploration activity. So something like, uh, I know a very popular one is like Hickory Dickory Dock, where you're making your mouse, your mallets run up the instrument and then down the instrument. Their mouse ran up the clock, the mouse ran down the clock. Something that strikes me as uh, interesting is that very often when we think about teaching recorders, sometimes we have a tendency to think that students have moved beyond the exploration element <laughs> and they should jump straight to reading standard notation on the staff and doing exactly what the music says at the exact same time that the music says to do it. What if we were to back up and think about uh, maybe a little bit more of an exploratory experience with recorders before we are asking for all of these con convergent experiences. Here's what I mean by that. One of the tricky things is students figuring out how to put what fingers down and in what order and um, how to make sure that every hole is covered so that we don't have a lot of squeaks. This is very tricky and very often, one of the best things that we can do for students is just give them some time to noodle around and figure it out on their own. They need to have some time to test the boundaries of tone quality, to test the boundaries of uh, pitch, to test the boundaries of articulation, right? So we need to find a way to do that because students are really their best teachers when it comes to what does it feel 
feel like to have too much air? What does it feel like to not be covering up every hole in my right hand? We also need to find a way to do that that does not drive us absolutely bonkers. So I'm not suggesting that we say, here, everybody take your recorder and find a spot in the room and just noodle around, just play, right? That would drive us crazy really quickly. Here is another option that we could do instead. What if, if we are doing these same rhythmic building blocks, instead of giving students two choices, what if we decided on a chord or a chord cluster that we want to hear all week long with our third grade recorder players. And what if we put the fingering charts on the board for, let's just imagine, um, a low D, a low E, G, and B. So I'll say that again, a low D, a low E, G, and B. This is going to give us some, uh, some opportunities to explore different registers of the instrument, but it's not just put down any fingers you want and play anything you want at any time, right? There's a, a little bit more uh, teacher direction here. So let's take those rhythmic building blocks that we had earlier. And now instead of just two choices for echoing back, students can choose to echo on any of the pitches that we have given them. The key here is that we know what chord, or in this case, um, like a chord cluster, we will be hearing. So if we hear a student just off on their own, right, we have a way to bring them back and say, oh, here are your choices on the board. I will listen to you play any of these choices. So after we play a set of rhythmic building blocks to students, they can respond with any order of pitches that they want based on the fingering charts on the board. And then I would go through this like mm, four or five different times and ask students to come up with their own combinations, a different one each time, and then turn to a partner and teach each other their different ideas. We can take that same idea, not just with rhythmic building blocks, but other songs or rhymes that we are using in music class. So third graders in the planning binder are also working on the rhyme two, four, six, eight, uh, and they're adding a partner rhythm to that. Oh no, I'm running late. I couldn't find the garden gate for ta me. Students don't necessarily need to play ta me on the recorder, depends on how fast or slow our tempo is, but they could absolutely improvise a new melody, improvise a melody to the rhyme, two, four, six, eight. Again, using the collection of fingerings that you have given them on the board. Something that you might have noticed as being notably absent is notation on the five line staff. That is because I would, my preference here is for students to use, going back to this uh, G and E example, my preference would be for students to say, uh, oh, Mr. Rabbit, you've got a mighty habit of jumping on a cart, eating all my cabbage, cabbage, sweet potato, bell peppercorn. After some of those melodic exploration experiences, my hope would be that I could zoom us back in to G and low E and students would say, oh, hey, that sounds like low law. And I would say, yes, you are absolutely correct. In this context, G is do and low law lives on what? And students would say low E, absolutely correct. Let's look at it on these stair steps and we can point to the stair steps. And then I would say, let's look at, on a, look at it on a barred instrument. And then we would point to the barred instrument and sing it. And then I would say, let's 
look at it on the five line staff. And we would point to the five line staff and sing it. The melodic understanding of steps and skips and that aural identification of what we are playing, not just the memorization of what line the cows eat the grass or every good boy eats whatever. That transfer of understanding as opposed to memorization, that's really our goal here. And just to clarify, I have no problem at all with students memorizing something that helps them recall the names of the five lines and four spaces. It's just that for this purpose here, that's not my goal. So it's not that I don't think that there is a place for those. Um, if that's something that, you know, you really enjoy teaching, it's just that my hope here is to build an understanding of pitch relationships that we can transfer from our voice to a recorder, to a barred instrument, to a visual representation, and make the connections across all of those different uh, ways to actualize a melodic idea. And then from there, we can certainly read notation on the five-line staff and play it on recorder. It's just that I, for, for these purposes here, I would not start recorders with the five-line staff notation. With the idea of um, sound before sight, aural experiences before visual experience, I would be more inclined to have a lot of varied student choices with uh, musical games and musical exploration and partner work and all of this stuff that we've talked about, and then find a way to connect what we've already been doing to the staff notation on the board. All right, friends. That is my approach to using recorder as one other mode of melodic expression or what we talked about today, uh, rhythmic and melodic expression. We are going to start with thinking about how much isolation of recorder we will need and how much naturally embedded understanding we can use in our curriculum. And it really comes down to our goals, right? It comes down to what the purpose of our music teaching is. And so because I know that I care about the transfer of understanding, I am more inclined to look at melodic connections that I can use the recorder to build as opposed to having one unit on how to play recorder and then moving on from there. So after we consider how much embedded understanding, how far onto that side of things we want to go, the next step is to think about what knowledge and experiences students can draw from. If our purpose is a transfer of understanding, then what's that understanding that we will allow them to transfer or that they will be set up to transfer well? Because what we don't want to do is drop a recorder in their lap and say, look, don't you see all these connections? And students say, no, we don't. We don't see those connections at all, right? So we need to think very uh, strategically about experiences that we have given students to shape their tonal context so that recorder is just one other piece, one other tool in our melodic tool belt. And then from there, after thinking about where we've been and um, by the way, thinking about what experiences students have had and what sets of conscious knowledge they can use in their recorder playing, that will be really important. So after that, we are thinking about some early experiences that will establish boundaries. Things like how to get the recorder out, 
what rest position is, um, things like what to do if it sounds super, super squeaky and we can't figure out what's wrong. All of that stuff. That is where I view the focused, um, you know, to use my earlier words, like more of the isolated approach. That is where I see this being very, very helpful is to have some set time where we are only talking about recorder because it is a very different instrument. It's a very different mechanism that we are asking students to work with. So having some focused time will be really helpful to students. From there, we can look at some rhythmic integration ideas of using recorders, not as a melodic pathway yet, but more as a rhythmic pathway. So things like steady beat and part work and uh, rhythmic building blocks and everything like that. And then from there, we can give students many options for them or, you know, as many or as few as you deem appropriate in your teaching, uh, but give them some options for exploring pitch on their instrument on their own. Very similar to how we would ask a young musical learner, like a kindergartner or first grader or second grader, to explore on a barred instrument. We'll set up those parameters for students so that they can explore the different pitches on their own in a way that uh, is mutually agreeable to us and to them. And then after those experiences, that's where we can make the connections back to that conscious knowledge that we started with, that we started the process with. Wrapping up here, I do not think that this is the correct way to teach recorder. I think that this is one way to teach recorder depending on your goals. I also notice that if we are starting this process in third grade, my expectation would probably be that we have the third grade year and then we also have the fourth and the fifth grade year to build on recorder technique and recorder understanding. So I would not be concerned that I need to teach every single pitch that you can produce on a recorder in this third grade time frame. I would view this as what are the foundational uh, recorder principles that I want students to be able to carry into these higher levels of musical thinking and musical transfer. That's how I would view this third grade year. As far as the sequence of pitches, there absolutely is some uh, mechanism involved in playing accurately with the recorder. Again, it is a very different instrument than students have been asked to use in general music up until this point. So I don't mean to suggest that you just put up any collection of pitches on the board and for the rest of the year, that's all you're doing. I would be curious about student response if you allowed them to to explore the parameters of this instrument before we focus in on whatever sequence of pitches you have decided to use in your teaching. So I want to make that clarification right there. All right, friends, this is one approach that we might use to teaching a melodic instrument. In this pathway that I am suggesting, students are exploring many different avenues of melodic understanding, and they are set up to make connections between uh, pitch concepts. That is the goal here. It is a transfer of understanding from many possible pathways of understanding melody. Melody.